Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. My name is Jenna, and I'm here to help you do all the hard things. I'm a licensed professional counselor with nearly 10 years of clinical and research experience working with people who have some of the most debilitating OCD and anxiety in the world. I'm also a mom, a personal trainer, and a lover of modern spirituality. My goal is to bring you all the research, guidance, and encouragement you need to help you remember and know how strong you truly are. Now let's get to it. So super timely episode for you guys here. So this is where we're going to talk about anxiety-related accommodations in the school setting. So this came to me because a really good friend of mine who is a professor um, was just reaching out trying to get my advice and kind of my thoughts on accommodations in schools because as you can imagine, just with a lot of students in school right now, she has a lot of students who have accommodations and who are, you know, needing certain things like extra time on exams or um, there's really a variety of accommodations that could take place, but it's really relevant right now because obviously a lot of students are struggling with anxiety, probably now more than ever with COVID, um, and they're back to school for the most part. So I know a lot of moms out there too, just depending on the age of your child, especially if they're anxious or have other mental health issues that they're struggling with, it's possible that they may have an accommodation already or want or need one. So definitely good that you're listening to this here. Also for just the teachers out there wondering what the heck to do with these accommodations and what the deal is and kind of what should be happening alongside the accommodations. And for therapists out there probably getting asked for a ton of accommodations right now, I want to be here to offer my thoughts on it. First and foremost, as always, I'm kind of speaking just particularly about OCD and anxiety, again, because that's my expertise. I know that you can and and people get accommodations for other mental health concerns too. I can't be as at liberty to say what my thoughts are on those other accommodations for other mental health issues um, because, again, anxiety and OCD is kind of my thing. I don't don't know and and therefore I'm not going to kind of extend my opinion on other areas, but definitely this is where I'm standing as far as OCD and anxiety-related accommodations are concerned. So my friend is just being bombarded with notifications of accommodations, students saying that they need extra time for tests, students saying that they have reasons that they couldn't finish an exam or a project, so they want to be graded on what they did, even though it was only partially done, students saying that they want single rooms when they really only have single or double rooms in a dorm, um, having people do notes for them, so on and so forth. And my friend was really trying to understand like how all this works and what my thoughts were on it. And because she said she's seeing it now more than ever, more than she has in the past, and I 100% believe her, I thought about it myself and just trying to be honest, I work in a residential setting. So meaning these are some of the most debilitated individuals with OCD and anxiety in the whole entire world. So they live with us for 45 to 60 days on average. So these individuals are 
not people who can go to work. These are people who are with me at residential because they can't attend school. So I'm not really having to be the one to write the accommodations for people in this setting right now because they're obviously living with us on site. And the reason why they're living with us on site is because their OCD and their anxiety is just too debilitating. They're not able to go to school right now. But it is something that as a team, we may discuss as this individual works on transitioning back home. I mean, I've definitely been asked for accommodations in the past, and it's definitely something that we talk about as far as discharge planning and just returning home and whatnot. So for instance, with social anxiety, I've had numerous people who struggle with social anxiety requesting single rooms instead of a room with a roommate. Obviously, you can imagine somebody with social anxiety, the concept of rooming and living with someone in a very intimate way can be really, really overwhelming for them. So students may ask to be exempt for other things like speech classes or presentations if they have social anxiety. And the idea of of accommodations don't leave a good taste in my mouth. Um, So as an OCD and anxiety treatment provider, just going to put it out there super bluntly and honestly, these accommodations go against everything. As far as learning principles go, if we're talking about what is going to make the anxiety worse versus what's going to make it better, just on the superficial level, there's no way around it. Like if it's one or the other, is it going to make it better or is it going to make it worse? I'm going to be pro making it worse. (laughs) So there's a lot to this though. And you can't just look at this on a superficial level because the issue of mental health is so complicated. The issue of school is so complicated. So it's just not something that is a very straightforward answer. But just at the superficial level, these accommodations are providing negative reinforcement for the anxiety. What that means is negative reinforcement is just anything that increases the likelihood of a behavior. That's the reinforcement piece, that it continues or perpetuates a behavior. The negative piece comes into play because it's what you're taking away. So you're taking away something undesirable and it's reinforcing such that the taking away of that negative thing makes you want to keep doing it. So think about, for instance, the snooze button on your alarm. That is the perfect example of negative reinforcement because it's tempting. The reason why it's so tempting to continue hitting the snooze button and hitting the snooze button is because when you hit that button, it takes away the obnoxiousness of the alarm sound. So you keep hitting it and hitting it because it's the negative reinforcement of it's negative in that it's taking away the obnoxious sound. And it's reinforcing in that you want to keep doing it. You want to keep hitting it and getting rid of that sound. So with accommodations and anxiety, this is what we don't want. So by providing and giving accommodations, you are essentially providing negative reinforcement by removing the person from their anxiety-provoking situation, whether it's a presentation or a roommate or a test that anxious-wise seems just really overwhelming. So the same way that the hitting the button on the sn- on the snooze gets rid of the obnoxious alarm sound, giving an accommodation takes away the distress and the unpleasantness of the anxiety. So by giving an accommodation, you're basically reinforcing this idea that if this person avoids, if they get accommodated, then their anxiety is gone and that's the way out. But as I've talked about before, the only way out is through when it comes to anxiety treatment, right? So 
the only way over that anxiety, meaning over your social anxiety or over your fear of failure in the academic setting, is to get someone in treatment, ideally, and to talk to a professional and try to work through that in a systematic way. And accommodations largely don't help this scenario. So in fact, like I've mentioned, the accommodations can actually perpetuate the negative avoidance behaviors. Now, with that said, I think that there are different levels of accommodations. So I think being exempt from an entire class or an entire assignment, like a presentation, is a pretty significant accommodation versus having someone do some notes for you or allowing extra time on tests. But it's all a case-by-case thing, something that has to be determined with the therapist or with the doctor. And I still think that accommodations with all that I've said already, that they have their time and place, even though I hate doing them, it makes me feel icky as a provider. And I really would rather go to any other alternative before we arrive at this point. It's kind of a last resort situation. And here's why. First and foremost, everything has to be considered on a case-by-case basis. It could actually be helpful for students to have these accommodations so that they can access academics and a college life that they may not otherwise have because their anxiety or their difficulties are just too extreme. It's important to make learning accessible as well as just the college life's experience so that students don't miss these opportunities. Plenty of students don't have access to therapy for whatever reason. Not offering accommodations at all would be great, but unfortunately, schools don't really do a great job of individualizing instruction, which leaves a lot of people kind of hanging in the balance. People learn differently, and everyone, especially when you consider mental health issues, can just be at a different place. And many students don't have the access or the privilege or the resources to get adequate therapy, let alone a legitimate exposure and response prevention provider. Next, not providing an accommodation can also exacerbate the pain and the shame that accompanies already a lot of these disorders, especially social anxiety. There's a big shame piece. And unfortunately, it would be really awful for a student to be put in a situation where they either get the accommodation and challenge themselves a little bit, or they drop out of the school altogether and they fail out. Someone told me once that a student can always get a second shot at therapy, but they won't necessarily get another shot at an education, and that really stuck with me. So that, just in and of itself, that perspective, I feel like makes me want to second guess or just be more thoughtful about the long-term scenarios when it comes to accommodations. Someone can always come back to therapy, right? And I hope that they do. And it's not a great scenario to give out these accommodations, but This college experience and and school experience might be a a once-in-a-lifetime type of thing, and you've got to take that into, into account and perspective. In addition, you definitely want to work to decrease these accommodations over time. So with anxiety therapists, I think that this is the case when anxiety therapists are the ones issuing or offering these accommodations. At least I hope it's the case. Then again, as I've mentioned so many times before, my frustration with there are so many providers who say they work with anxiety and they treat anxiety, but they don't actually know about ERP. And of those who do say that they know about ERP, they don't really do it legitimately, right? And 
So unfortunately, I think that happens in the majority of cases um, that they're, these individuals, these students are getting seen by a therapist or they're getting seen by a doctor who thinks they know how to treat anxiety, but they don't actually understand kind of the learning principles about what accommodations can do to make the problem worse over time if it's not handled the right way. Um, and that's why I have friends who are professors reaching out to me saying that they're just really confused and they're frustrated at how more than half of their class now is on an accommodation of some sort and don't seem to be invested in challenging themselves. So if avoidance in the accommodation is going to be the only intervention that the student wants, and if they're not willing to challenge themselves in other ways and work on these issues like their social anxiety in treatment, then it would be really, really hard for me to not be ambivalent about their request for an accommodation as a provider, just as someone who knows and understands the learning that takes place. So if the student is working really hard in treatment, but whatever it is that they're being asked to do is just way above and beyond where they're at anxiety-wise, it's just like flooding for them, then I'd be more likely to support the accommodation. But if they just want the accommodation and they don't want to challenge themselves at all, and these aren't goals that they want to eventually work through, be it on their own or in treatment, then it's going to be difficult to get me on board. Overall, I would be extremely hesitant to recommend an accommodation unless I knew and it and I knew that it was going to be established with the student and the family that this was one a temporary issue that it wasn't going to last forever, two that the student was going to be actively working on addressing the issue. If I were to do an accommodation or be okay with one, it would have to be with the understanding very explicitly And we would have to agree that we are working towards something. The student has to know where the train is going, so to speak. So go back to the request that I was given from a person who had social anxiety and they were wanting a single room. I did not support that request, but had I supported that request in a way that I felt okay with it, it would have had to have been very explicit with the the person, like, you are going to be given this accommodation for X amount of time, what is a reasonable amount of time for you to wean yourself off of this accommodation? What does it look like for you to not have this accommodation? So maybe the goal in their treatment would be for the next academic year to have a roommate. Um, So then we would have to kind of work backwards from that goal of having a roommate. They would have potentially the accommodation of having a single room for the year, but we would very explicitly agree together that it's temporary And that within the year, within the next, um, for the next academic year, our goal treatment-wise is to get this person to a place where they are able to have a roommate. And then we would come up with treatment goals in the interim to work on that. So maybe um, they don't have, they have a single room, but they eventually, like, they start to make friends and they have other friends, like, sleep over. Maybe they spend the night at other people's dorms. Um, Having a friend come and stay for an extended period of time, um, like eight to 10 hours or something. So those are just some ideas. I'm so excited to share with you guys a planner that I've had for months now, and now I have an absolutely incredible offer so that you can enjoy it with me. I've tried yearly planners, blank diaries, and everything in between, all the way from back when I was in high school. Silk and Sonder is the perfect planner that I've been waiting for for years. 
Silk and Sonder is a self-care monthly planner and journal subscription service, including monthly, weekly, and daily planning pages, plus activities that change each month and are targeted to help with your self-care. You'll get coloring pages, recipes, habit trackers, journaling prompts, and more. Silk and Sonder offers monthly, quarterly, annual, and gift subscriptions. It's the first ever monthly planning experience aimed to empower you to live the life that you've always wanted. Inspired by a new theme each month, they hand curate, design, and deliver each issue straight to your doorstep. You'll love each month's blend of productivity and planning, introspection and mindfulness, and lifestyle content. I've been using mine for months, and I'll honestly never go back to a regular planner ever again. For 25% off your order, head to my website at jennaoverbaugh.com and click on deals. So to my points earlier, the accommodation really can't be a way of life or an expectation and that that's just how things are going to be handled from here on out. There should be a goal involved, like I mentioned before. So with social anxiety, maybe it's speaking in front of the class, and then we'll work on that with exposures together. If someone isn't wanting to work up to that or build skills around that, and they're seeming to just want the accommodation without actively working their way up and out of the accommodation, then I would not be comfortable providing it. And maybe most importantly, I also think this year with COVID, it's just really different and special. And I think a lot of us are doing things here and there that we typically wouldn't do just to get by and to make things a little bit more manageable and easier on ourselves. So I have to keep that in mind too. Again, I still think it's important to have these benchmarks and to have behavioral expectations so that things can improve and change when it's appropriate. So with that said, here are my takeaways as far as accommodations go for anxiety and OCD in the school setting. One, there are different levels of accommodations and every student is different. This all has to be evaluated on a case-by-case basis with the family, the student, the teacher, and ideally the therapist if one is involved. Two, accommodations generally are negative reinforcement and without an agreement to work on other things, this will likely perpetuate the avoidance and increase the anxiety over time. Three, It's my opinion that accommodations ideally will be given if they're necessary, but only with the explicit agreement and understanding with the student that they'll be working to reduce and eliminate the accommodation by challenging themselves in therapy and working towards some benchmark or goal, like giving a presentation, taking their own notes, having a roommate, etc. Four, as a therapist, you have to weigh the pros and cons. Consider the student may be at risk of failing or dropping out and missing their academic or social opportunities if they don't get this accommodation. You have to consider too, is it worth the additional pain and shame that already accompanies this anxiety? And last five, just know that this school year is special and unique and that we all need a little bit more grace right now. And again, eventually we have to get back up on the horse and keep doing the hard things. Otherwise, these hard things take us over and we're no longer the ones driving the ship. Our anxiety is the one driving the ship and that's not a fulfilling life. So for all my teachers, students, therapists, and moms out there, let me know if this was helpful. I'd love to know what kind of accommodations you're being asked for. Um, Just in general, especially my, my professor friends and listeners, like what 
has been different for you this year as far as this goes. Um, if you're also seeing kind of an uptick in all these accommodations, and if students in your experience are generally working on these behavioral goals and treatment, or if they're just kind of being given the accommodation and nothing else, let me know. So DM me at jenna.overbaugh on Instagram or email me at jennaoverbaugh at gmail.com. Thanks for tuning in. And until next time, keep doing all the hard things. For more information and resources, head to my website at www.jennaoverbaugh.com. From there, you can sign up for my email newsletter so you can make sure that you are the most up-to-date about upcoming resources, podcast episodes, blogs, challenges, and more. Also, check me out on Instagram at jenna.overbaugh and tune into some other episodes here while you're at it. As always, if you have a free minute, it would mean the world to me if you could please subscribe and rate this podcast. Subscriptions and ratings help me keep the podcast going and help me spread the word to other people who need these resources and they otherwise may not get them. With that said, thank you guys so much for tuning in. I really love creating these episodes for you. And until next time, keep doing all the hard things.